You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Every now and then when we're watching a movie uh, with a genie that comes out of a bottle and he grants three wishes, you get caught in that trap of what would I do in that moment? Like what, what exactly would I wish for since apparently wishing for other wishes is off the table and I can't do that. You start to ask the question, if I got a, a blank slate like that, what would I do with it? My goodness, I mean, it's a pretty big check that's sitting there empty and I could fill it in. How do I want to answer that? You know, whatever answer you would give to that, if you pull that string just a little bit, you'll find that it, ha- it tells a lot about where you're at and who you are and what you trust in. If you pull the string of, if I could only have that, things would be okay. I would be okay if I could have and fill in the blank. Well, this morning, as we are getting close to the end of this series called Redeemer, I'm trying to lift you high into the presence of God. I'm trying to pull your perspective up, up and away from just the here and now. And I want you to know that the greatest gift you'll ever have is recognizing that Jesus is the answer to that question. He created you. That he knows you, and that you were made by and for him. By and for him. And you will feel your greatest sense of purpose, security, dignity, fulfillment when you find it in him and him alone. And he will not share that spot of preeminence with anyone or anything else in your life. And so as we come into this passage in the book of Mark, I want you to just sit there with ears that are ready to hear as God wants to speak to you. Listen for the statement in the scriptures or in this sermon. Listen for the Spirit of God to speak to you knowing where you're at today, knowing what is hurting inside your soul, knowing what you need most. Stretch out your hands in your heart and just say, Father, I I want to hear your voice this morning. That's what we expect, is that when the church comes together, God gathers with us, and God meets with us to, to speak to us and encourage our hearts this morning. And so as we read in Mark chapter 10, I want to give you a bit of a roadmap that helps you get there. I want to show you some of where we're going today. In the first two verses, verses 45, 46, 47, three verses, you'll see someone screaming for mercy. It literally says they were screaming out for mercy. And then in verses 48 through 50, we see some principles that you have to see, you have to embrace, that these are principles of prayer. They're steps for us in prayer. They're helpful guides to us in prayer. And then in verses 51 and 52, we see a question that is well worth thinking about ourselves and ask God to help us understand the importance of the question that Jesus has asked of this man. Well, I want to pray and I want to ask, and I know that we've prayed a good bit, but I want to ask you to join me in prayer. 
It helps me get my heart and mind more ready to do this task called preaching, and it helps you as you get ready to hear. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you that you love them with a deep, everlasting, eternal love, and you love me in the same way. And it's not because we've done anything wonderful. It's because Jesus has chosen and called and switched places with us. He's taken our punishment that we might have his position of favor in front of you. God, we thank you that in Christ, we have everything we could ever need, ever want. And he is so good to us that there is far more blessing that comes to us just being in him. Teach us a new narrative, a narrative that is filled with gospel truth that would help us to see you rightly and see the world rightly, see ourselves rightly. Would you speak to the brokenhearted today? I know, Lord, that you say you are near to those who are crushed in spirit, that you are close to those who are brokenhearted. I pray that you would speak and encourage the hearts of your people today. I pray that you would call out in conviction for those who are wandering, call them home today, and affirm those who are just continually seeking your face. Let them be affirmed today in the good news of Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen. Okay. Well, again, Mark chapter 10 It says that they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, a man named Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar, he was the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, there's an awful lot there. It's really interesting to know that we're about a week away from the cross. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the final time in his earthly ministry. And so as Mark starts, is, is recording this intense week that is in front of us, Mark gives us some really interesting details about this man, Bartimaeus. Before we talk about that, Jericho is a... Is a See that we know about. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? And the walls came tumbling down. Well, this is not on the exact site. It's close to that. But Jericho is a very important city. The historian Josephus describes Jericho as a vast city with a great population, that there would be tradesmen there, that there would be soldiers there, that there would be farmers there, that they had incredible lands that were irrigated, farmland that was irrigated, and that they had a vast trading business that was going on because of the seven feasts of Israel that are annual feasts, three of them happen in Jerusalem. And so people would come from all around Israel, they would go to Jerusalem. Well, the last place they would stop before they ascended up to Jerusalem would be Jericho. Now, you can imagine that with that many people traveling past that significant of a city, that there was a lot of people that would understand the importance of all this biographical detail that is being given by Mark about this man, Bartimaeus. Remember, this book is written only about 30-something years after the events. 
So when Mark says that Jesus is surrounded by a large crowd, people of that area go, oh, Jericho? Yeah, I've been there. I've seen those crowds. Oh, wait a minute. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus? I've seen that guy. I know that guy. Mark gives us an awful lot of information about this guy, a blind beggar in Jericho, on the roadside, the son of Timaeus. If you'd like, you can go and verify the story even now. That's the kind of biographical information that we're getting. And it says that as this man was blind and he's a beggar in this place, that he hears the hubbub and he hears the commotion and he says, what's all this commotion about? The answer Oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth, and he's coming by. Now, you need to know that in this generation and in this place, in this time and place, to be blind could easily be seen as something that God has done to you. Being blind, being lame, having leprosy, these were all things that it was very easy to, to say, well, you've probably done something terribly wrong. It's your sin that is the cause for your desperate situation. And with that mindset, they could be very cruel to someone like Bartimaeus. And so as Bartimaeus sits there in the darkness, and he hears this commotion, and he inquires, what, it's a, what is it about? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth? This man in this moment begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David? Why does he use that kind of phrasing? Oh, he's saying, I know that you're more than a teacher. I know that you are the a Messiah. I've heard the stories of what you've done with those who are lame. I've heard what you've done with those who were imprisoned by demonic forces. I have heard what you've done with Lazarus. That guy was dead. Oh, he'd know those stories. And because he knows those stories, he says, this guy's more than a teacher. He's not just a teacher. He's the long-awaited Messiah. As to his understanding of what that meant, it probably in his mind meant a political leader but he also knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. And so as he's sitting there and he hears this commotion, he has something click in his mind. This guy can help me. All I got to do is get his attention. And so he begins to cry out for mercy. He didn't cry out. You know, innocent people don't cry out for mercy or don't cry out for justice. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, son of David, have just give me justice. He cries out for mercy. He doesn't deserve anything, and he knows it. And so when he cries out, he lifts up his voice. It's for mercy. He's saying, I don't have anything that I can trade with. I am not a good man saying that I've been mistreated terribly. You guys ever read the book or seen the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo? It's a great movie. I didn't read the book because it was like just too long. I didn't thought I'd give up on it. <laughs> Watching the movie and Edmond Dantes is in the Chateau d'If and he's there and he's locked up and he's in prison, mistreated terribly. He, doesn't believe, he shouldn't be there. And what does he scratch on the wall? I know that God will give me justice. And I thought, oh, Edmund, let's hope not. 
Because the last thing you want from God is justice. What you want from God is mercy. You want mercy, and you want grace. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when he gives you what you don't deserve. And so what is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, crying out for? Bar means son of, so Simon Bar, Jonah, son of Jonah. Okay, so we, we see this with Barabbas, son of the father. This is the son of Timaeus, and he's crying out for mercy. He says, I'm not coming to you for justice. I'm coming to you for mercy. And this is an important point for us. There is a desperation and a faith in this screaming. Ask yourself this question. When was the last time you screamed? Not just because you were scared in a moment of a spider or a snake or whatever. When was the last time you actually screamed? When was the last time you called out? I remember, I've shared this a couple of times, but it bears repeating that. I was in such a dark valley about five years ago that I didn't feel like I could say anything articulate in prayer. I thought, well, Hebrews talks about Jesus lifting up loud laments. And so I thought it was good enough for him, it was good enough for me, and I just basically screamed for I don't know how many minutes. I lost my voice in prayer that day. I mean, I screamed until I didn't have anything left. When was the last time you needed God so badly that you didn't care how stupid you looked? You needed his help. You needed him. And because of that, you didn't care what it looked like. One time when we were at... uh, Disney, again, forgive me, some of you have heard this. We lost Gracie when she was five years old. The electric light parades cruising by, and I've lost my five-year-old. You want to bet how I sounded that day? As crowds were everywhere at night, and my child is missing, did I scream? You're darn right I did. Did people look at me like you're crazy? Sure they did. Did I care? No. This man is so desperate that he will lift up his voice and scream out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, keep watching. It says there in verse 48, And many rebuked him and told him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and called, or said to him, Call him. Those are stories, right? Call him. And those who had been rebuking, it says they sternly rebuked him because they saw him as a nuisance. They saw him as an embarrassment to who they were as a community. When they hear him crying out like that, they're in the midst of, Shut up. Shut up. I tell you right now, shut up. I don't want to hear anymore. You've got to stop making a nuisance of yours. And in the middle of that, as they're rebuking him sternly, whatever that sounds like, it's harsh. It fuels his cry. It fuels him to cry out all the more, having been mistreated for many, many years. In this moment, they're rebuking him, and they hear this crowd that Jesus has called for him, and it says that in the middle of that, they said, huh? He's, oh, uh, 
Sorry about all that shut up stuff. He's calling for you. Take heart. Be encouraged. <laughs> the same group, right? This is our good and loving Redeemer. This is him. And when the crowd is utterly against Bartimaeus, telling him you've got to zip it, you've got to be quiet, you're an embarrassment, you're being too loud, Jesus says, I hear him, and I want you to bring him to me. Now, if you don't learn to engage your mind's eye in some of these things, you're going to miss some of the beautiful things that happen in Scripture. Because this passage says that Jesus stopped and called him, and it says that he sprang up. He sprang up. He jumped up. Eyes not clearly focused, face very focused. Listening for Jesus, moving towards Jesus, throwing off his cloak and moving towards Jesus. Can you see this whole interaction? Everybody there waiting because they're about to see something of a miracle, and they want to see that miracle. But I want to give you a handful of principles that will help you in prayer. Now, some of you are going, how are you getting prayer out of this? Well, I'll tell you something about prayer. I never intended to be an expert on prayer. Like, if you'd asked me back early in college ministry days, there were guys that were experts in, you know, like... Oh, you could say end times theology. There were guys that were experts in, you know, uh, the Old Testament prophets. And I always thought, I wonder what I could be like really good at knowing about. I would have never said prayer, okay? But God wanted me to learn about prayer. And it was the greatest gift he's ever given me as a Christian is to know what prayer is. And what this man did face to face, we do by faith, Right? And so the first principle is this. Let mercy drive your prayers. Let mercy drive your prayers. Often Pastor Michael will say something like this. All you need is need. So for some of you, the reason you don't pray much is you, you, you kind of feel like, but I don't, I don't ask God much because I know I don't deserve anything. I know I'm not cleaned up. I'm not the presentation mode of myself. And so I can't go to him asking for things because I feel like I have no ground to stand on whereby I could say, look at my good life. Look at the way I have lived in a particular way, a noble way, a good way that I look at and I feel pretty good about. And because I feel cleaned up and I've, I've got myself in presentation mode, I feel a little confidence to go in and, and talk to God about the needs that are in my heart. I've got no bartering chips, and neither do you. So let mercy drive your prayer. Bartimaeus had no bartering chips. You come to God empty-handed, not with a pocket full of change that you're going to trade him for something he's going to give you. <laughs> you don't have that. You don't need that. Let mercy guide you into the presence of Father, where you say to him, I have need right now. I've got deep need in my life. What I don't have is a bunch of merit whereby I can list the things I've done, and because of those things, I'm pretty sure you're going to say yes. 
See, that's not how Bartimaeus came to him. That's not how anybody can come to him. We come needing mercy. We come needing grace. So let mercy drive you to the Father. He's merciful. He calls out for mercy, and that's exactly what he's going to get. What else is a principle that we find here? And this is a pretty important one. It's this. It's the second principle that I want you to see here. We are not only invited to pray, we are commanded to pray. Let me say that again. You are invited. (laughs) And prayer, which is the next series we're going into, it is an incredible joy, life-giving gift to know what prayer is. We are invited into prayer. We are commanded to pray. See, when Bartimaeus brings his need, it's because he's got nowhere else to go with it. But he hears about Jesus. He knows that Jesus is one he can call out to, and he brings his need straight into his presence. Well, let me tell you something, friends, beloved church. We are invited in, and we are commanded to pray. There are a couple of verses that I just want to give you that will help you understand some of these things we're called into when it comes to prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Well, let me back up. It's, yeah, there it is. Pray without ceasing. The posture in your heart should be one where you are constantly engaging God in prayer, where you are talking to God about the beauty of the sunrise or the sunset, where you are talking to God about when you feel outmatched, when you walk in between your car and the grocery store and you have that quiet moment where there's no radio, there's no telephone call, and you just say to God, I am so glad that you have loved me. I'm so glad that you have saved me. Thank you for providing for me. Your posture is one of prayer. Also, that it says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. God is inviting us to bring our need. There is nothing greater as a dad, I love this when my kids turn to me and say, hey, I need your help. Almost before they ask, I'm so honored that they turned to me in their need and said, can you help me? Can you help me? I need you. Our Father loves when we bring to Him our heartfelt needs. Also, this in Psalm 62, eight, one of my I don't want to call it a life verse, but it certainly has had an impact in my soul. Trust him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. Our God is a refuge for us. See, it honors Jesus that Bartimaeus is willing to go and ask him for this help. It honors our Father in heaven when you say to him, <laughs> I need you. I'm in over my head right now. I don't have the wisdom for this current situation. I don't have the money for what I'm facing. I can't afford to to, to get out of this with money. I don't have enough to pay my rent. (laughs) Whatever it is, you pour out your heart to the Lord. You trust in him. He'll be a refuge for you. That's who he is. 
All right? So he honors God when we come into prayer. We're invited, but we're also commanded to come to him with our request. Well, here's the third thing, and I think maybe you've already picked up on what this is. Be diligent in prayer. Be diligent. It's very obvious that Bartimaeus faced opposition in his his effort to get to Jesus with his need. I would say to you that you should expect opposition in prayer. You should expect discouragement. That's part of the process. Some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. I mean, Bartimaeus starts screaming, and within a few minutes, he's got Jesus face to face with him. What do you mean? Okay, sometimes I've found this to be true, that the Lord will answer something I've been praying for, whether I had the words to know how to say it. Sometimes God's been sitting on ready, waiting for me to ask, and he just gives it to me. And other times, I feel like I have prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing is moving. Nothing is changing, and I feel discouraged. I feel maybe what Bartimaeus felt was, these, everything's against me right now, but I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to stop seeking the face of my Savior. I will bring him my request. Friends, be diligent in prayer, because just imagine if Bartimaeus gave up. What if they said to him, hey, zip it, shut up. And he's like, ah, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're right. I don't want to cause a problem. It's almost as if he said something like this. If I'm blind sitting on this roadside tomorrow, one reason will not be because I shut up. I am not going to be sitting here blind tomorrow because I listen to these guys. I'm going to keep lifting up my voice. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I am going to call out to the Lord. Can you hear that? Stay at it. Stay faithful. Keep praying. I preached something similar to this in Illinois. One of our deacons came up to me and said, hey, can we talk? Sure. You know, I'm single, and I've been asking God for a very long time to give me a wife. And you preach these things, and you act like, and you sound like, if I'll just pray, God's going to answer. And I don't think it's true. And I hate that I'm saying this to you, but I don't know that what you just said is the experience of my life. And I said, yeah. It, it, forgive me if it ever sounds like a magic formula. It's not. But I can tell you this. By the way, that man's getting married this month or next. Just, just for you. If you're in God's waiting room, it's a hard place to be. If you've been praying a long time, asking him for something, and he just doesn't seem to be interested in it, and you start to believe, maybe there's no point in this crying out thing. Maybe nothing's ever going to change. You are in that waiting room for a purpose. God is at work in your waiting. And that's hard. That is hard. I've been in his waiting room before. I'll be in it again, and I don't like it. You know, when I'm in God's waiting room, I just logic with him. Now listen here, Father, you told me I could pour out my pour out my prayers to you, so here they are. 
You've told me that I should let my request be made known to you, Ephesians chapter 4. You told me to do that. Well, here it is, and I want to logic with God, and I want to explain the merit of why I'm asking for it, and I want to, if that doesn't work, I want to use money. If I can use money to accomplishment, I'll try that too. If you're in God's waiting room, he's at work in you, for you. He's not ignoring you, and you should expect that this is going to be hard. And you should keep crying out. Because look at the beauty of this. He didn't quit. He kept crying out in the face of opposition. And Jesus stopped and said, call him to me. So beautiful. And so those who had rebuked him said, take heart, get up. Please don't mention anything about me telling you to be quiet the harsh way I was. Just get up and, and go to there. They're calling, he's calling for you. And so he sprang up. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's quite a question. It's quite a question. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. Gibeon, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. Can you imagine you... In this moment of Bartimaeus or King Solomon saying, okay, I think God just asked me, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it's very obvious, isn't it? The blind want to see, the lame want to walk, the prisoner wants to go free. I mean, why, why bother with a question like, what do you want me to do for you when the answer is plain? It's very obvious what he wants. Let's just hold that for a moment. I'm going to get to that, and I'm going to press in on you right now. I want to know how you would answer the question today. As you sit here, what would you say in response to this question? If Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? How do you answer that? Do you know? How you would answer that? I, I've been in your shoes, right? So I know, like, I, I, I know some of you right now are going, I know exactly how I'd answer that. Right here, let's see right now, I know exactly what I would ask. And some of you are like, if I'd need a week. Okay, well, let's just do it this way. What would you ask for if you just said, right here, right now, I know I need this? What would you ask? And then if you had a week, a week to think about it, and you don't know the answer, and for some of you, you'd say, I need healing in my body. I've got a sickness. I've got an ailment. I've got a struggle. I'm just like Bartimaeus. I've got this, and it's ruining everything. Some of you would be, I, candidly, I just need a job. I need a job. I need a spouse. My child is suffering, and I need you to help them. Can I just ask you to, to think for a moment that if we pulled on that thread of that question just a little bit, if we just pulled on a little bit, why do you want that? If you got it, what would you have? Rest. I'd feel like I could just go, ah. Oh. Okay, all right now. Relief. 
I'm not struggling anymore. I'm not hurt anymore. The inner thing broken in me isn't broken anymore, and I'm okay now. I'd have significance. Like people would see me and know that I'm an important, significant person. I'd have that. I'd have protection. I'd know that if there's that much money in the bank, I'm going to be okay. Friends, listen closely. He knows us. He knows our motivations. He knows what we're longing for, not at only at the surface level, but down deep in our core. He knows us. And so when Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. I just want you to picture this whole scenario. That as he recovers and Jesus says, okay, and it says that he, in the Canyon text, it says that he touched his eyes and that he recovered his sight. Can you picture for a moment Bartimaeus having been touched by his creator, Savior, Jesus, and all of a sudden his eyes begin to focus. And what does he see? He sees Jesus smiling at him with compassion in his eyes. He sees his Savior, and that's what he needs, and that's what we need. That's what we need. He's the one who gives significance, not jobs. He's the one who gives rest, not money. He's the one who gives us protection, not strength. He gives that. He gives it all. And he gives Bartimaeus sight. It's so beautiful. I think as I'm walking through this series and Michael's preaching and it ministers so much to me and then I get to study it, I find myself saying, Father, I've got a child that's about to leave for college and I'm like, oh, well, I just so hope I've put enough in you of lessons of the Lord, that you've seen the Lord in my life, that you've that I've been able to entrust seeds of grace into your life so that when you're not with me, you'll lean back on those things. And here's one of the big ones. I just want you to talk to the Lord every day. I, we were singing the song, Great is Your Faithfulness, and I thought, I think if you kept singing that, I think it would preach my whole sermon. <laughs> morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, you provided Oh, God, you're faithful. And as Michael was reading that confession from Lamentations 3, Lord, you're my portion. See, it's clear in the original language that when he says your faith has made you well, it's actually the word for salvation. You got saved, Bartimaeus. You got your sight. But you got saved. I don't know how you would answer the question, if Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you? But I would have you at least consider this. You were made by him. You were made for him. To ask him, let me see you rightly. And let me have you at the core of my life. This is a good answer. Several different people were given credit for this quote, though I don't know who first said it. Probably G.K. Chesterton, but maybe someone else. 
Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. You didn't go look, you thought you were looking for intimacy, illicit sex, whatever, but you, your heart was longing for him. You wanted him. You were just looking in the wrong place for him. Oh, friends, this is the beauty of communion. Every day, or every Sunday, we do it again, right? You do know what the word communion means. We're going to commune with God. You can't get there apart from this table. You can't get there. You can't get there with uh, nobility of your own. You can't get there with righteousness of your own, with gritty determination of your own to be a better person. You can't get there, but you can get there through the body and blood of Christ. He calls you back. Listen to me, beloved, uh, beloved brothers and sisters of mine, my, my family in Christ. He calls you into communion. Just as Joseph said to his brothers when, they, when he first revealed him, he said, come closer to me. The Lord says to you and I, come closer to me. Eat and drink and be satisfied through me. Maybe you just, you want to believe that, but you just feel like you're so far from God. All you're saying is I need mercy. I need grace. I, don't, I couldn't love you. I couldn't have in my own heart, I don't exactly remember how the song said it, but I couldn't love you. I didn't have any desire in me, but then out of nowhere, you gave me a desire to treasure Jesus. If you don't have that, ask for that and come and eat and drink and be reminded that it's by grace that we've been saved. It's not of our own works. It's a gift of God. So come, beloved. Eat and drink of Jesus. Confess your sin. Tell him you need him. Tell him that you want to want him. He's inviting you to communion. Bring your broken heart. Bring your dull heart. Bring it straight to him and ask him to have communion with you. Let's take a few moments and pray.